Are you all right? Lucky for you, we have an empty house. How long do you think you'll stay? A few days, maybe? Of course. This building is quite old. It's been many things over the years. Bright Hill Road has a long and complicated history. It's like there's a different person inside me. She's relentless. She just wants to drink. Bright Hill Road has been a way station for all kinds of people. And some of these people are doing penance for their sins, no names. I think all your troubles stem from your inability to see things as they really are. As they really are? Joining us via Zoom today on Moving Radio are two people behind the fantastic new film, Bright Hill Road. It's Robert Cuffley, director and composer of the film, and Susan Maloney, writer of the film. You can catch it on Sean Demand, TELUS, Rogers, Bell, iTunes, and Apple TV, uh, Google Play, pretty much any platform where you can get digital VOD, you can find Bright Hill Road. And in the film, the walls are closing in on the deeply troubled Marcy as she loses touch with reality and comes face-to-face -face with the misdeeds of her sordid past as Bright Hill Road confronts her. Robert! Susie, welcome to the show, except welcome to the show for the first time with me. Last time you had the lovely Lindsay Campbell. Well, she was lovely. That's great. I remember now. But you and I have met. We met yes. at, uh, I want to say, Ferocious. Mm -hmm. at, um, what's that theater called? Metro. Yep, that is correct. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good because I was like, man, I haven't seen Robert in a long time. Uh, but I follow the work. So it's, uh, it's fantastic to reconnect with both yeah. you guys. Look, I don't want to give too much away because I think this film is one of those amazing pieces that the more it unfolds, the more you are pulled in and sucked in by it. So I'm not going to try and summarize it any more than I have. You know, maybe give us a little bit of a taste as to how much you want to give away about this film because it starts off with a bang, literally, figuratively, and only tell us as much as you're really comfortable with. You know, one thing I do like to say about it, everything that you see is not necessarily all that's there. There are things underneath the surface and this is one of those stories that weaves in little bits of information that you, that are lovely grace notes by the end where you go, oh, I get it. And that's probably my very, very favorite thing about this movie. I, and I have to say, I, I come from books. This isn't my first film or, or project and this might be my favorite ending ever. It does have a good ending. It has a great ending. I love that ending. I'm wondering if we should step back and just briefly go over the premise. So it's about Marcy, a woman in her early mid twenties, who there's a, and I'm also going to steer clear of spoilers, but there's a workplace shooting that sends her back to examine all of her terrible habits, the largest of which is alcoholism. And she escapes to this boarding house where she stops en route to see her sister in sunny California. All these weird things start happening and visual hallucinations, audio hallucinations. And we're set up in a way where we're made to second guess everything, wondering if it's her alcohol or whether she's actually uh, experiencing something supernatural. At some point it becomes pretty, I mean, just, just the genre of the film, I can tell you it's supernatural. I don't think that's saying too much, but exacerbated by too much drink. As sometimes happens. In watching the film, I just thought like the level of baggage that 
Marcy is carrying around is is it's oppressive. It's literally like almost too much for this character to deal with. So uh, this is towards you, Susie. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, where you found the roots of that character for Marcy. And if there was ever a moment where you felt like, you know, you had to draw a line where it's like, how much can I actually put on top of this character in order to deal with? Because there has to be a certain point where you got to find what's workable for them and what isn't. And if you ever felt like there's a line for that, or if you feel that's unlimited, I'll, I'll make them deal with whatever they can, they can take. You know, I'm a firm, belie- firm believer in the fact that we're all stronger than we think. We're also all probably have a, a breaking point that we don't recognize. As far as where Marcy comes from, frankly, uh, Christian, I have a lot of trauma. I think Robert has a lot of trauma. I think that there are more people who carry a lot of burden than uh, we realize, right? The, that old saying about how, you know, you should be nice to everyone because you don't have any idea what they're dealing with right now. And so Marcy's one of those people, you know, I have a, I come from, you know, the working class communities and always a lot of drama. And a lot of it centers around things like addiction and the constant grind of poverty or near poverty. And, and these things wear on you and, you know, they can be, they're, they're also generational. And, and I, I think we inherit a lot of burden and addictions and that those sorts of substance issues from our family of origin. So she sprung from a very natural part of me and she's been a character I've wanted to work with for quite some time. She just never made her way into a story and then one day, bang, had a perfect spot for her. That's the thing that I thought was really fascinating about her is that is, as we're going through this with the character of Marcy, it pulls at you so much because you feel like what is the limit going to be for her, right? So I was just so impressed that you could kind of like really balance that tightrope of where I started to be like, you know, is this going to be too much for this character? Where is even a line for myself? Because now I'm starting to identify with be like what's real and what isn't in some ways, right? So you did a really beautiful job of doing that with that. Thank character. you very much. What a wonderful thing to say. You know, Siobhan has to take most of those kudos though. She really took, I saw, I wanted something in Marcy that was a combination of, you know, this total aggro woman and also that vulnerability. And that's a tough one because those are almost opposite emotions. And she pulled it off. Like she was aggressive. And even when she was being aggressive, you could see the vulnerability in her posture. Amazing actress, Siobhan Williams. She really takes the movie and makes it her own. Wouldn't you say, Robert? Yeah, I I can't say. I'm trying to think of a new way to describe her, but she's so wonderful. She has such good instincts, such a good work ethic. And as far as the character, I loved how Usually when you start a movie, you get to see someone's problem manifest and then they have to conquer it. But her problem is there from the first 20 seconds of the movie. You just see her knocking back drinks at seven in the morning, which is, you know, a little early for a lot of us. I don't know, Susie, I don't want to speak for you. Not for me, but, you know. No, not for me, it's a little early. And um, if you're not that person, you know someone like that person. Growing up with it in my family, it's, it's a pretty sad illness that affects everyone in a different way. But it was just interesting because, you know, bam, the movie's starting, zero, zero, one, two, three. By 20 seconds, you know what the problem is. And, um, or what she has, the baggage she has, she still has to slay, slay the dragon with that baggage there, which makes it really interesting. Great ending too. <laughs> <laughs> 
Robert, you capture so many incredible moments in the film that are, are kind of really unnerving because as much as Susie can create those moments, I mean, you create that kind of visceral feel of putting someone in that. Talk to us a little bit about your approach to a film like this and maybe that collaborative effort with the cinematographer like you had with Robert Rindell. My pleasure. I could speak about this for four hours. So get in a comfy chair. I love this movie called Session Nine. I want to say 2001, 2002, Brad Anderson's the director who also worked with Michael Eklund in The Call. Michael Eklund is the male star in this, The Call with Halle Berry. He also directed that. And I told Michael to tell him how much I love this film. To me, that's... uh, that's a haunted house movie, obviously. And I suppose this is too. But in, in terms of Session 9, the visual aesthetic and the sonic aesthetic, the score, are something that I uh, almost fetishize. And before you call the cops, the, the lighting, the texture, the sound people's voices make, everything about it. When you see someone down a hallway, you don't zoom in on their face. You just see them full body 60 feet away from you. And that creates all this mystery that comes up at not knowing with any degree of precision what that person's thinking or and I just love that kind of uh, vagueness I suppose but uh, Robert Riendo the cinematographer he also likes that film so that was kind of our jumping off point uh, but I also referenced to Susie and she took such good elements out of both or not took elements out of but was inspired by Carnival of Souls Kirk Carvey from 1960 but also uh, Polanski's Repulsion it's not like you set off to rip something off, but at least it gives you a bedrock. Like this is the world we're creating. And these are the visual references. And myself, Robert Riendo, production designer, Carl Sheldon, and Susie giving us the words. The four of us really, I think, did well in creating this uh, fictitious place. It's true. We've been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, but oddly enough, what was the category again? We're turning it down because of that attack on the Capitol. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't seem like the timing is right. No. <laughs> okay, cut that out, okay? <laughs> Christian, you're going to cut that part No, out. look, when you come up with good <laughs> jokes, I'm, I'm keeping all the jokes. That's for okay. sure. Well, I've got lots of them. <laughs> I guess it winds into a few things that we've already talked a little bit before, too. But I love films like this that have a really small, intimate cast. And, and you're right, like, Siobhan is so much the driving force of this film that we've kind of referenced before, but all these supporting characters that are around her, even as much as they don't get as much time with us as, uh, as Marcy does, that they're still vitally important in that support of this world that she's living in, right? That she experiences. So I thought like performance wise, you captured some amazing stuff from these people, Siobhan Williams on down. But I'm sure there had to be a certain level of excitement for her because feeling like this is really a a vehicle for myself and also to probably thinking like there's so much for me to be able to chew on as an actor. But at the same time, it seems like everything that's happening to her is sucking the life out of her. So she's like, great, this is the role of a lifetime. But at the same time, maybe it's like really sucking the life out of me because I'm going through my own personal hell. Talk to us a little bit about how you balance that with performers, but also to maybe Susie about how you balance that writing for that character and, uh, and you know, how, how, what you see in that actor and how they interpret the character you created. It's funny the the, I, I spent just a few days on set and the first day that I was there, Siobhan immediately cornered me and just pumped me for information about Marcy. I found it 
wonderful because, you know, of course I want to talk about this character. I want, I, because, and this kind of movie is very reliant on you identifying and, you know, appreciating the character. And so it's a win-win if the actor wants to get on board too. I was there for three, four days and got to watch Robert in director mode, something that I, I don't get to see when we just hang out normally at his place. Because I yell more on set. But I did watch him working with the actors and that was a trip because I, he's so gentle with them really. Smarter on the crew. Wouldn't you say that you're very, you were very gentle with Siobhan, but I mean, it's uh, a role. Well, something Christian said, I mean, when you're acting this, whether it's your real life or uh, a fictitious life, I think your body is reacting to some of those things uh, physiologically. So, and, you know, plus uh, she's leading the movie. Like she is the anchor. She's, she's going to be the reason the movie sinks or swims. And so there's a lot of pressure on her. Plus she's meeting all these people for the first time. So under those conditions and the late stage of the game that we brought her in, it's, it's just amazing that she did so well. But for me, most of my directing is before we get to set. I like to think of that, I like to think of it that way but also just spending as much time in prep as possible and just talking to them like real people. The thing is, this is, this is such a small movie compared to uh, some of my other ones that it was much, it was more casual. You could just say, Hey, come here for a sec. And you'd sit on a bed and you just talk about something. Whereas normally it's like, okay, let's uh, give me your walkie talkie and we'll meet by the porta potty and we'll talk about this scene. You know, this is just so casual. We lived in the hotel where we filmed and slept there so we would wake up and just start shooting. So that was amazing as well. Robert, this is the first feature length film that you've done the entire score for. You've done some for some other shorts and you kind of referenced uh, that idea of session nine and how maybe that had some influence on you and kind of this uh, oral soundscape that you're creating as well. Talk to us a little bit about maybe the difference of going from a short to a feature film and maybe how many different elements you need to put into a score for a film like that. And even if, for yourself, if you're on set, if you're already kind of thinking about things like that while you're watching, or if that takes until you get to the editing process before you start thinking about, you know, what this may sound like for you later on. I'm so happy to answer a music question. I do have a bit of imposter syndrome because I just started composing, but to your answer, I a hundred percent knew what it was beforehand. In fact, I sent cast members a playlist typically, even if it's music that we could never afford or license. Well, it may have been Climax Golden Twins who did Session 9. Actually, they're an outfit from Seattle. who use antiquated instruments and get amazing sounds out of them. But setting the tone is such a, such a big thing. So I'll play music on set, not uh, vocal, but usually just like an instrumental. So something in the background that you may not even be aware is playing. I like that kind of music. I like a lot of what David Lynch does. Like for instance, in this, my washing machine is in the movie, sampled, reversed, stretched. I like playing with sounds like that. But to your question, yeah, I knew what it was gonna be like pretty much, but then you hand the footage over to an amazing editor and she showed me, her name is Bridget Dernford, all these things that I hadn't seen. So what I like is actors that show me what I can't see or haven't seen and, and an editor. And this is why sometimes directors take too much credit, to be, to be honest, because without these people helping them, we'd just be working, working at a Starbucks. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. You get a good health plan, lots of free coffee. You know, and a final one for both of you is that the collaboration between director and writer kind of seems a little bit fractured sometimes, unless you do them both yourself, because it almost feels like, you know, the writer gives birth to it. And then supposedly what's supposed to happen in most of our heads is that we're like, oh, well, the director takes it and, you know, kind of uh, helps it grow up in some way. But I don't know that that's always necessarily the case, particularly when you're working on smaller films. Susie, you already referenced a few days that you were actually on set. Talk to us a little bit about what that working relationship like was like for you two. And because you, you know, you've done Romy plus this, that short film that uh, played at EIFF. And maybe just a little bit about like what works for both of you when you kind of recognize what each other do well and kind of respect that as well. You know, Robert and I have a long friendship. We met around, I want to say 2006 or seven, right away hit it off. Uh, we met under, you know, the circumstances of horror. Uh, he'd been hired uh, or attached to direct the adaptation of my third novel. And so when he did a, a second draft of it, he graciously allowed me to, you know, talk about it with him so that I could see how he did it, because that was a plan for me. I wanted to write. And we've really not looked back. We've been looking, we've been friends throughout all of that. And we've been always looking for something to do. We've collaborated on a, a few scripts. Uh, and, and it took some years to, for us to figure out how we worked best. And how we work best is a lot of communication. We have very similar tastes in, in film and in horror film particularly. So there's a lot of communication. He trusts me, I trust him. And so in that way, we are a, we're probably a unique and certainly very effective team, I think. Take it away, Robert. Yeah, I'd say the big thing I would pick up on is, is similar tastes because, you know, Christian is, I'm sure you know, there's so many subgenres of horror. You say horror movie. What was the comment we had, uh, Susie? Um, we did test screenings at the Calgary, the big new Calgary library. <laughs> there was one one guy that just just was trashing it. He was going, I, you said this is a horror movie. There's no killing in it. No, he said, I expected killing. I expected killing. So, you know, there's someone that likes the slasher genre. And, and if you go outside that realm, you're in trouble. You're going to get a, you know, a tongue wagging from him. You know, nothing wrong with that kind of horror. But I'd say we don't really like horror comedy that much, despite that we're writing one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we have similar tastes. And it's not just new stuff. It's old stuff, thank goodness, because that's where most of my attention lies but i watch all the new stuff and pass on to robert which ones he should watch yeah sometimes for sure for sure yeah you can't you can't see everything so yeah you rely on people to people whose taste you trust to say uh don't don't skip this one but this one is really worth your time you know and hopefully i do that to you too oh yes of course no, we do. We, and you know what? We have a genuine love of it. It's not just that this is our living. We also have a genuine love for the, the whole industry. Oh. Not just film, but the whole horror industry. I, I feel like I found my people. You know what I mean? Because this is my fifth movie and uh, the horror community is, is different than anything. Oh my gosh. They're so loyal and encyclopedic knowledge of stuff that's come before like it's not just hey let's get pizza and watch a horror movie although that's fine too but but there are people like i don't know if you remember that guy in new york we were interviewed by matthew like just oh loved him just 
yeah, just so much info and it makes, that's, that, that's the one thing. And Christian, if you love horror, we should stay in touch because I sometimes miss peers that love it. Because uh, in film, it still has a bit of snobbery around it, right? Wouldn't you say, Susie? We were absolutely talking about this uh, before we started the show. And there is, there's a, you know, uh, people think that, you know, because it's horror, it's junk, it's junk food. When in fact, you know, horror throughout the century has been responsible for some of the, you know, the biggest tells in political movements. And of course, I'm going to reference Dawn of the Dead, Romero's Dawn of the Dead, you know, the rise of consumerism, because that's the one everybody knows. But look at the last few years, you know, and okay, our film, Stephanie, um, all of my favorites from this year, Relic, The Lodge, you know, these films that are about isolation, I think that that's a direct result of the internet, like the, the current internet age, we're all on our phones and it's isolating us. And now we're in a pandemic. Those films are going to continue for the next 20 years. And I think climate change and and our ancestors' responsibility, like the boomers coming into here, um, that's where things like hereditary come from, right? It's what is the legacy that we're being left or leaving behind for our kids. So horror rises above a lot of films that are directly, you know, hammering home these points. Sorry, it's my pet peeve. She's on her soapbox. That's right. Our guests today on the program are Robert Cuffley, director, composer of the film Bright Hill Road, and also Susie Maloney, writer of the film Bright Hill Road. You can catch it on oh, so many places. Sean Demand, tell us on demand. Rogers and Bell on demand, uh, iTunes or Apple TV, Google Play, pretty much any BOD digital platform you want to check out, you can. And I suggest you do that, um, not only because the film is fantastic, I think that's a fantastic thing, um, but also because when you make a choice to purchase one of these films, particularly on a video on demand service, it means a lot to a film like this. It means a little bit less to a big tentpole picture, but for films like this, I think it's, it's a, a monumental kind of testament to what they do. And also as well, it helps fuel those kind of careers. So films like this that are locally produced, locally filmed uh, by fantastically talented local people uh, are completely worthwhile and checking out on those platforms. So you know what? Don't be shy. Give up your money. Nobody's getting rich, but you know what? We're going to make more stories. That's the most important thing. And maybe feed our families. So check out Bright Hill Road. Support Susie, uh, support Robert, and support Alberta Filmmaking. Here, here. And how. Be good. Look at this. Yeah. Yeah. She's yes. very nice. There you yeah. go. Ah, there you go. <laughs> 1996 Much Music Video Award. Nice. 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 Okay. That I would uh, honestly, I'd put it on a necklace, Robert, and I would just rock that thing all the You're time. Right. I should. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth uh, a lot emotionally. Emotionally, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.